Good afternoon and welcome along to NUFC Matters with me, Steve Wraith. It is seven interviews in seven days to celebrate our first year as a channel. And I'm delighted to welcome a good friend of the show, Lee Clark. Good afternoon, Lee. Hi, Steve. You OK? Yeah, great. Yeah, <laughs> good to see you, mate. Honestly, it's been a while. Uh, so last time I had you on was with Steve Howie, which was great. And uh, just how we've been doing through the through through the the last couple of weeks since we spoke. Everything okay with you and the family? Yeah, all good. Um, you know, me, me uh, feeling a bit old because my youngest kid, uh, Bobby, he was sixteen on um, Sunday. So that's making us feel an old man. Obviously, uh, well, he had to speak about Newcastle, Steve. But I think I'd like to start the show by um, obviously hitting on a, on a very serious and strong topic in the world of, well, football and life in general in sport and it's this um, uh, racism and death threats on audio and, and on social media. Um, I actually came off, I'm only on Instagram and I only done that because of, uh, to try and uh, push my profile a little bit on the advice of the LMA, the League Managers Association. I've never been one who's done a lot of social media, um, but I've done that with them and actually came off it last week. I've reinstated it uh, in the last 24 hours just because it's a tool for me to, to uh, you know, connect with friends and family. But um, I'm just totally absolutely devastated about the, the scenario that's going on uh, currently with uh, players in the, in the men's and the women's game, with officials, um, you know the the racist abuse they're getting, death threats to referees. Um, it's it's absolutely scandalous. Now you know I'm no uh, expert, I'm no politician, but my idea would to be is, and I know you can get round this, but uh, in lots of ways because you know the the modern technology for scammers in the world today is unbelievable. But you know one of my ideas is is, is to one, you know you have to. Um, you know, give some kind of uh, credibility to to the account that you're setting up. So, you know, you provide a passport, you provide a driving license with an address. You know, you have to go through all this when you're like trying to get finance for money laundering. Can go through all these, and I think it has to go to this stage. I know it's a, it's going to be a rigmarole, but at the moment, all you have to do is stick a, an email address in and a password, and you and you're set up. Also. What you've got to do is um, you've got to you've got to name and shame these people. So once you find out who they are, you've got to get the picture out of them in the public domain. Because I'm sure their mums and dads, their wives or husbands, their kids, their brothers and sisters, would be devastated if they found out someone they knew was behaving in this way and is hidden by a parody account or fake account or whatever. And then thirdly, you know if and when you're caught and prosecuted, a custodial sentence. I think it's got to be that serious and it has to, you know, we have to, it has to be sorted out that strongly for me. Um, you shouldn't have to do that. Everyone makes mistakes in life. Everyone, you know, players don't have bad games on purpose. Referees don't make decisions that prove to be wrong or costly on purpose. You know, the human beings, everybody who does a job in, the, in this world, an accountant, a solicitor, a bricklayer, um, you know, a doctor, they make they make mistakes, but they're not they're not getting absolutely pillaged, and they're not getting death threats, and they're not getting uh, 
slaughtered for the race or the you know the colour or whatever. It's it's totally it's it's disgusting. And people you know, it's been talked about I seen um Dermot Gallagher, the ex referee who refereed you and me around was saying about when he obviously when he was refereeing there wasn't social media and he'd come out of the ground and he'd get a bit of stick and a bit of friendly banter off fans uh, about the uh, decisions he'd got wrong and, and that's as far as it would go. And I think the, the, the key point in all this is, and, and I've been in this scenario before as a player, uh, as you well know, if we, if we um, you know, went out socially after a game and, a, and, and support, I wanted to come speak to us, which we're always open to, and if they wanted to have questions about, you know, the performance, uh, what went right, what went wrong. I mean, very rarely had to say what went wrong because we were always under the rule that if we didn't win, if we lost the game, which was few and far between, we didn't go out in the public domain in any way because we didn't put ourselves in that position and we didn't feel that it was the right thing to do after losing the game. But if we went out and, and you bumped into su- support us, uh, they weren't hiding behind a fake account. They weren't hiding behind a keyboard where they could say absolutely derogatory things about you and your family, some scandalous things. But they would say to you, but they wouldn't be so uh, forthcoming in front of your face. They'd say that, oh, what happened today? Or, because people, when you speak to them face to face, they haven't got that... Uh, they haven't got that safety net of people not knowing who they are and seeing it to your face, and there's not many strong-willed people like that anymore. So, obviously, I've I've, I've been listening intently with various different people and their ideas. I, I listened to Brendan Rodgers, and he'd come out with a good statement, which is easier said than done, but it is. The players shouldn't go on these social medias to validate that performance. The people who matter is them, their teammates, uh, supporters of that club because genuine supporters of that club wouldn't behave in this way uh, their managers their coaches and their family and uh, the, you know I, 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 the bit of advice I can give to the to the players of today is just to back up what Brendan said don't go on these um, media and social outlets to, to, to validate your performance if your manager and teammates and your supporters of your club think you've done well, that's good enough. Well said, Lee. Well said. We did the thing before your tweet campaign, obviously, in December after uh, I had a troll turn up in my street. So, you know, from my perspective, I, I fully support what you're saying and, and you know, nobody should have to put up with it. I mean, I've had death threats myself. Um, you know, I've had I've had tweets where people have said my wife should be raped. Um, you know, I, I can... I can fully fully agree, and and as you say, these accounts that tend to do this tend to be anonymous accounts hiding behind pseudonyms. You know, Piers Morgan, not everyone's favourite cup of tea, but you know he's been championing this over the last couple of days on on GMB about you know Gemma Collins again, a reality star who you know will will certainly be like Marmite, but does she deserve to be told that she needs to die? You know, no, she doesn't. So yeah, I would agree with you a hundred percent. And football, footballs. There's too much nonsense come of it, Steve. I've, you know, since I've become a manager, um, you know, uh, my, my children are on this. This, you know, that's the modern day world. Um, you know, the youngsters of today, you know, are on on media. not just the youngsters, even you know, uh, all all that people, because that, that's how the, the world works, and that's fine. Um, but you know, there's been there's been so much. There's been fake news about myself as a manager. I mean, um, leave, leaving certain players out, and and 
on that Saturday night, the fake news, uh, I left a certain player out of my team because he was round my house when I was Birmingham City manager and I caught him uh, urinating in, in my fish pond. <laughs> I mean, you know, if, if it wasn't so, so, so laughable, but it is, there's a serious tinge to it because it's absolute nonsense. It's just complete and utter lies. One, um, I've, I've, I never invited the players around to my house socially in any way. My staff always, because they're important people. But I always kept that distance between myself and the players. But two, <laughs> I never had a fish pond. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, you know, but, you know, that's just one tip of the iceberg. There were so many things. And yeah, my kids have had awful things said about them you know someone's saying terrible things about myself uh you know about my personality uh about me as a person which are totally untrue hey if i haven't got a result as a manager tell us that i, I haven't done my job properly totally got to accept that 100 percent of a player and i haven't been good enough and people say that no problem don't be then saying that you know i should die or someone in my family should be raped or we hope you catch cancer or your kids should do this, do that. It's absolutely scandalous. And it's it's not what this was set up for, but it's come to the crunch now, Steve, where we've got to get serious. It's it's just happening all the time and it's just it's not it's not acceptable. And it's until something serious changes, it's all right people us having these debates and talking about it and doing these different protests. There's got to be action. Actions speak louder than words and until this happens. We're not going to get rid of it, unfortunately. No, good point. Well made, though, Lee. And, uh, you know, glad that you're uh, glad you're OK and, and um, doing well during this horrendous time. And I think, uh, ultimately, I think people have got more time on their hands during COVID. It's not an excuse, but I think that's why these things have, have, have certainly come to the forefront. But hopefully, uh, it's going to take the social media companies um, to, to clamp down on this. But um, we will watch that with interest. Um, Okay, we put out the questions um, to you, Lee, because we've had quite a, an influx from people who, who've got a whole mix of questions for you, not just Newcastle. So we'll start with Keith Rowell on Twitter. Uh, he says, uh, uh, Steve, please can you ask Lee Clark, what was it like scoring for Fulham against Newcastle in 2002-2003? Fulham won 2-1, Lee got the winner. How did he feel after the match? Um, I was delighted because we needed the three points. Uh, the manager, Chris, had just took over on a temporary basis, Chris Coleman. He was a big pal of mine. Um, I wanted him to get the job, so getting positive results. I think we, he had six games to get it. We won four, drew one and lost one of the six. So he got the job on a permanent basis. Become the youngest manager in the Premier League at the time. Uh, I was, I'm professional. I'm there to do my job. I tried my very best all the time. And uh, I was there to win the game. Um, I was there to probably prove that I was probably better than the midfield players in the other team. Um, and you always hope that you can, you know, uh, impress people and there's a chance that one day to come back. I know Bobby inquired about bringing us back. So Bobby inquired about bringing us back from, from Fulham. Um, so, yeah, it's it was the right thing to do. There was, of course, it was weird. My father was sitting behind the goal at the opposite end with the Newcastle fans. Um, so, you know, it was a, it was a very strange uh, feeling after the game, but I had nothing to, to be ashamed of. I was there to do a job. She should have knew. I, kept, I knocked them past them regular in the training ground, so he should have knew what was coming. <laughs> he should have been ready for it. 
But uh, no, it was the same the following season when unfortunately after me and Louis put us two up at Fulham uh, again. But, you know, Alan Shearer inspired Newcastle. They beat with 3-2. Uh, we were disappointed that day. But we went to Old Trafford a couple of days later and won, won 3-1 at Man United. So you're there to do a job for your team. And I think that's why, um, you know, I can always look myself in the mirror no, no matter which game I've played. And I've just touched upon it. Many times I haven't been very good in terms of my technical performance. But not once in my career could anyone say that I never gave my best. Good stuff. Peter Gallagher says, uh, ask Lee, why did he leave Kilmarnock for Bury? I thought that was a head-scratcher, he says. Yeah, I was. I, I look upon that now as... You know, my main objective was I knew Bury were in a precarious position. I didn't know the financial situation. Um, and uh, I kept them in the league. There was 14 games to go in League One. I thought if I can do a strong job at Bury keep them in the league, get them higher up the league the following season. I could then get an opportunity back, maybe he's in the championship with somebody to fulfil my ambition of being a Premier League manager. So I'd done the first part, kept them in League One, you know, with second bottom. And uh, it was, it obviously went a little bit pear-shaped the season after. I left in the October when, you know, first got wind of the precarious financial position. I knew things weren't looking great decided mutually with the chairman that we had to walk away from it and um, obviously the Ryan Lowe took over in the October and in six, seven months later they were relegated. In hindsight, I shouldn't have left Kilmarnock. Kilmarnock at that time had a little bit of a scenario like a smaller version of what's going on at Newcastle. Uh, the chairman, he wasn't the majority shareholder but he had a, a big enough stake where in the football club, a guy called Michael Johnson was was the so was the chairman, and the main man who's now there and appointed Tommy Wright yesterday, Billy Bowie, he was a majority shareholder. He was the man with the money. He was always saying until he got sole control. His fantastic plans that he had, i.e., a new training ground, upgrading the hospitality facilities uh, at the ground. The ground is a terrific stadium, and anyway, uh, uh, you know, really four covered areas and you know holes over 20,000 so a good enough ground in any way fantastic the club owner a hotel across from the club uh, stadium car park five five star there four and a half star the you know so and it was when I look back because I turned things around there to kill more kept them up and we were sixth uh, which is a was a big thing then to get them in the top six and when I left but it was because we were just, you know, I couldn't see Michael Johnson ever leaving. Unfortunately, a family uh, bereavement made, made him make his mind up to get out of football. And Billy's now majority shareholder, sole control, makes the decisions and has improved the infrastructure again fantastically. So Tommy will be going into a good job. Yeah, good luck to uh, our friend Tommy Wright as he takes on the management job at uh, Kilmarnock today. Wish him all the best. Top, top guy. And uh, likes a night out as well when he's back in Newcastle. Uh, Joe McCabe says, do you have any aspirations to get back into management, Lee? I do. I, 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 very strong. I'm, it's difficult. It's really difficult at the moment. I think uh, one or two of the tough jobs that I chose to take, hoping to try and uh, be the positive thing that would happen at those clubs haven't worked out and maybe pulling us back a bit. But yeah, I do. I apply for 
you know, lots of jobs I have been that I fancied. There's been some jobs that have come to us that I haven't uh, fancied. So, yeah, I've, I, I want to try and get back in the game. It's difficult. Um, you know, been out of full-time management since 2017. So, it's it's it's, it's tough. So, but I, I still have aspirations of getting back into full-time football. <coughs> My time at Glide <clears throat> didn't really work out and it didn't work out because... I couldn't get the grips with the mentality of non-league football. I couldn't get the grips with, uh, um, you know, the lack of ambition around the place, and uh, it, it wasn't working out. Training sometimes once a week, not even training at all sometimes, with the conditions. Uh, I didn't realise until I got into it that, you know, football for these lads is secondary in terms because I have a full-time job. So for, and I, I, I had this ambition of going in there and trying to improve players so that we get the chance to go into the football league. But it's a big risk for these lads, and the majority of them aren't prepared to take that now because they have a, a steady and uh, good job already behind them. They're not prepared to take the gamble of going into full-time football on a one- or two-year contract and having to prove themselves, and that doesn't work out. They might have lost their job that they're in, so that was another difficult area. So, yeah want to get back in but it's got to be full time question that always comes up Nathan John Davis he says um, why did you go to Sunderland and did you feel unloyal to Newcastle leaving for Sunderland I went to Sunderland uh, one because uh, if the locality I just had my oldest son he was just a baby we lived in Newcastle we were settled my wife's from the area um, I'd worked with Paul Bracewell many many times um, and I had a good relationship. He was the assistant, and I, I liked what Peter Reid had to say. And uh, the, the club had moved into a new stadium, was looking to be on the up. Um, no, I, 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 I never stopped being a Newcastle fan. I still come and watch Newcastle play uh, all over the country. Um, I went to away games. I went to many at St James's. Uh, obviously, went to the two FA Cup finals. So it never it never changed, and uh, you know it, it was a job then. It was I had to look after I look after my family, and, and and that's what I done. And uh, no, it's never I've never been disloyal to Newcastle United. I love the place. I was born on the banks of the Tyne. I went to the first game in nineteen eighty when I was in uh, London, uh, living in London, playing for Fulham. I went to numerous away games around London, down to Southampton. Uh, you know, up back up to here. Unfortunately, I was up here uh, the famous night of the Derby game, Rude Hullet's last game in the torrential rain. Came up from London to watch that and obviously seeing a defeat. So, no, it's. Uh, listen, it's it's a decision I, had, I made, and, but Newcastle United is my club, will always be my club, and I'm proud. I lived the dream. I think I was more successful than some people want to give us credit for. Uh, every year I played in the Premier League, we qualified for Europe. Whether we could play in Europe was a different matter because of the ban on British clubs. But every year I played for them, in both both occasions we qualified for Europe. I never lost a time in where Derby. And if I had stayed in the team that year, who's to say we wouldn't have won the Premier League? That's what I always say to people, mate. That's what I always say to people. Um, talking about that season, Cattle Sweeney says, do you think that if Derek Fazakli had stayed on, that could have made a difference? Possibly. Derek was a big 
a huge part of what we've done because Kevin uh, let Derek uh, do the coaching sessions. Uh, and Derek could put on any type of session, attacking session, defending session, um, fun session, tactical session, physical session. Uh, he was very good. That was one of the reasons I took him with us when I went into management myself. So he had the respect for the players. But the big pull for Derek at the time was going back to a club where he was a record and probably, I think still is a record appearance holder. Blackburn Rovers, he was from the area. So, um, yeah, it was, yeah, it could, could have had a big effect. I mean, we had good players and, you know, Kevin wasn't into a lot of the coaching about the opposition. It was about what we could do. But still, he had a, he had a huge part to play in his relationship with Terry McDermott and, and Kevin. They, they worked well together. Good stuff. Uh, Nick Williams says, what was the uh, best or favourite football boots that you wore during your career? Um, uh, oh, tough as a Puma Kings or Nike Tempos. I wasn't into the flashy colours. Uh, I like the Puma Kings. When 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 I was with Adidas, I had a, I had a sponsorship deal with Adidas, and uh, when I was a player, and it was when they were bringing these Predator boots out, and I wasn't too keen on these Predators, and that was the reason we couldn't agree a new contract because I wanted to wear the World Cups and the Copas. And they wanted the new boots to be out there and on the TV and in the Premier League of Predators and I wasn't prepared to, to wear them so I moved on to a new company because of that um, but if you, you know it's, it's the basic ones, it's the Nike Tempos the black and white ones, it's the Puma Kings or it's the Adidas World Cups belt as all three Ross Smith says uh, was Pavel Cernicek the best goalkeeper you played with at Newcastle? Um, he was Pav was a terrific keeper. We've just mentioned Tommy. Terrific keeper. Great lads. Uh, it's tough because I was obviously lucky enough to play with Shea as well. And Shea is right up there at the top. Just gets pipped with the best keeper I've ever played with in my career by Edwin van der Sar. Um, so, unfortunately, probably not the best keeper I've played with. But it's right up there. and was a terrific keeper, character. We miss him every day, don't we? So, we do, um, so yeah, uh, you know, it, it, a brilliant guy and a brilliant footballer. Ross also asked, what's it like signing for your boyhood club? Um, and what was your best moment at Newcastle United? What's it like? It's it's living the dream. It's a dream come true. You never think it's possible when you're a young kid. You never think that you're lucky enough when you're standing on the terraces watching Newcastle United players play that you're one day going to do that. Um, and when it happens, it's just surreal. There's lots of great times. Uh, my debut, uh, my first goal, the promotion season, uh, you know, some of the games we played in with the results, the Man United 5-0, the Tottenham, the Tourham 7-1, uh, you know, going to Liverpool and winning in, in there, that, over there and, um, just, just so many things. I mean, coming back in my first full game again at Blackburn Rovers away the second time because you never think it's it's going to happen. You come towards the end of your career, you think that ship sailed. Um, then your last goal, which against Middlesbrough, New Year's Day, which at the time you don't, you don't know if it, if it is going to be, but and then uh, so yeah, just 
I probably think it's some more as well as we're going along. It's just it's just absolutely fantastic. Um and that's why when we when we did lose the the game, certainly from the Kevin Keegan era onwards, um the odd game, it, it that's why it hurt so much. Yeah, okay, good question. Uh Dave Cook says when playing for Newcastle, is there one match more than any other that sticks out for you and why? Um I don't know, I mean, I think in terms of uh, the the birth of the uh, entertainers, I think it was probably the first game of the season against Tottenham when we lost 1-0 at St James's. I think that gave everyone a little bit of a shock because we're coming off the euphoria of romping the championship and having that last game of the season when we beat the playoff team in Leicester 7-1 in front of the cameras and with, you know, probably everyone, players alike and fans, so in the Premier League it's gonna be it's gonna be a doddle. And I think the best thing that happened to us all was that little bit of a wake up call in the first game and we lost one nil at Spurs. I think Teddy Shownham scored. Uh just give everyone a little bit of a kick up the backside and I think we realised then, even though it took a couple more games to get my first points on the board, uh, that this was gonna be a tough a tough ask and um but it allowed us to to refocus and, and it allowed us to become a, a powerful team in, in that era. Uh, a question about, obviously, the new coach coming in. Um, if Graham Jones became manager, uh, would you go and work at the club for him if he asked you? I mean, it's a no-brainer. If anybody asked you to go to Newcastle, you would go, Lee, wouldn't you? Because it's your club. Yeah, but listen, we're going... Listen, let... let the fact of this situation is you've got an opportunity to, to go and work for the club. Whoever's decision it was, and you'd like to think it was Steve's, and I'm, you're hoping it was Steve's. I think it was, but hey, I don't know. Um, I'm not privy to that. Um, he left Bournemouth. They were in the middle of a bad run. I think they went five defeats when the manager got sacked, and I think Graham was involved in at least three of those, possibly four. So he was part of the setup that the, the, the Bournemouth hierarchy felt was not performance levels required for them to get back up. He come to Newcastle and since he's been here, they've won two out of three. And then there's this furore about him becoming the manager. He's had a goal once in a club at, in Luton in the Championship that was doing really well before he took over. He found it difficult. He moved on and uh, the manager who was there before him, Nathan Jones, who moved to Stoke and found it difficult there, went back to Luton and has got them back on track again. So it's not as simple as that. I think it's too it's too easy to say. Yes, everyone's made a contribution, but the more the people who've made the biggest contribution and the biggest turnaround are the players. They have produced they produced performances and sat there epitomised that for me. Down to ten for half an hour, thirty five minutes, possibly more. Down to nine for fifteen minutes plus injury time. The performance levels from the second half uh, against Leeds onwards have been much, much better and uh, have resulted in, in, in two wins two wins out of, of three games, you know. And uh, so, well done. Everyone's contributed. Um, but I think, uh, you know, it's, 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 we're talking about Newcastle United in the Premier League. So that job shouldn't just be given out lightly. Um to, to anyone that you, you, you've got to be worthy of that job and, and got to do, deserve it so 
you know, let's just chill out for a bit and hopefully this good run can uh, continue. Uh, Danielle says, uh, hi, Nash, lad. Are you still loving the Sainsbury's blush rose here? <laughs> I, uh, I've actually um, I'm had a drink. I've, I, I went on before Christmas and just tried not having a bit with that time without alcohol. And uh, I'm coming up to 11 weeks on Friday. Wow. So, um, yeah, you're saying, wow, Steve, I, I feel all right, but I'm substituting it with ridiculous amounts of chocolate. So, oh. I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know what's going on. I mean, honestly, there's not enough chocolate in the shops at the minute by me to, to get us through this. I'm absolutely when I'm sitting. It's all this live football as well. I'm watching like on a Sunday. I'm watching like five, six live games through from midday till ten o'clock at night, and I'm just absolutely battering the the, the cups of tea and the chocolate. So I, I'm not too sure if it's worked the way I wanted it to. Yeah. <laughs> It's one of them things. It, it is difficult, like, but uh, yeah, you'll find your way, mate. You'll find your way. There, there is other substitutes. Get yourself some grapes and stuff or whatever. <laughs> Come on, Steve. Come on, man. <laughs> What's the funniest prank that's ever been played in uh, the Newcastle dressing room when you were there? Says Craig. Um, we've, we've had numerous ones. We've had the ones where we've cut the the toes off the socks, Fastino socks. We've had uh, we've cut the, the the arms off his shirts, and when he's went, to, he hasn't realised. And when he's went to put them on, it's ended up being like a, a shirtless, uh, an armless shirt, and he's he's kicked off and started playing with us Geordies in the group, which he was right. <laughs> um, you know, there's the there's the ones of taking the the eye pieces out of the hotel doors, and when we've knocked on the door, big Philippe. Come answer the door and squirt the fire extinguisher in, in through there, which probably is not the most sensible thing to do when we've got a big game the next year. And one of our main steers sent a horse is nursing an eye injury, <laughs> 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 and uh, we had to make sure we, we got away quickly, like because if the big fella had got a hold of it, we might have made the game as well with a couple <laughs> of injuries. <laughs> Uh, it was just constant. It was constant that that camaraderie we had in the at the training ground. Um, and the the thing was, it made in Castle Steve. You know this. It was obviously a council-owned training facility. So you had, you know, there was we weren't in one big dressing room or like separated into groups of fives and sixes. And then you obviously you had the students who'd come in playing badminton, five aside, or doing athletics. And there was just. They must have looked at us and for professional outfit craziness. We're just absolutely going, going mental with each other, you know. And uh, now nah, it was good. The other one was um, when when Kevin was in charge because he didn't name the team until about an hour before kickoff, an hour and a half. So and he, if you were getting left out, he'd send Terry Mack into the dressing room for his office at St James's to come and get you. So what we all started doing then we started putting towels around our neck because we called it the custard pie. So Terry, when Terry come and give you the curly finger, he knew you were getting the custard pie, and we all were sitting there with the towels on waiting. And he came in once, and he ran back out. He went and got the gaffer, Kevin, and Kevin come in and just creased laughing like and he's like, "What's up?" We said, "Oh, we're just waiting for the curly finger off Terry, or one of it, because and we're just putting the towel on with so the custard pie <laughs> can get on my gear." <laughs> Uh, so yeah, we made you know we made a bit of a laugh and enjoy out everything. We had the, we had unbelievable balance into uh, when to get serious and um, went went to enjoy ourselves. You know, we had great relationship. We could all 
be part of a duo for me. Could all be taking the video as well. So that was good. Great stuff. Big shout out to our sponsor for this month, Spider VPN. Uh, you can uh, say that they've uh, sponsored our StreamYard application this month. A big shout out as well to qtechshop.co.uk. Uh, the makers of pool tables and snooker tables in Walls End in Newcastle. Also the maker of our t-shirts as well, which you can buy from newcastlelegends.com. And last but by no means least, big shout out to John from Jab Signature who creates all of our flyers and uh, don't forget get yourself involved in Alan Shearer's uh, raffle uh, at this moment in time raising money for the Alan Shearer Foundation uh, you've got a great opportunity £10 a ticket to win the boots the match shirt and the captain's armband from Alan's 250th goal game so uh, well worth uh, a look well worth a punt uh, a couple of weeks left to go on that raffle so uh, get yourself involved last couple of questions off Twitter Mark Bayer says is it true that you only signed for the Mackhams because they made you a millionaire? <laughs> it ticked one of the boxes. <laughs> <laughs> Paul Oxley says, uh, what did you say to the Huddersfield chairman after he sacked you? I find it amazing that when you had a 43-game unbeaten run during your time with them that you would be sacked by them. Um, we, I was just talking about this the other day to someone. Because um, oh, we were talking about how well Wickham Wanderers had done in getting to the Championship, though I find it a bit difficult, but still been amazing. Because my, my last away game was a Friday night game at Wickham and we won 6-1, Jordan Road scored 5. And then the following Tuesday, we lost a big promotion battle with Sheffield United 1-0. Harry Maguire scored um, and we were three points off top with two games in hand after that game. Um, that's when I on the Wednesday morning got the sack and uh, it was actually a phone call he was away he was on a skiing all at the time so he hadn't been to the game on the Tuesday evening and uh, I was wanting to speak to him you know this story you've heard it I was wanting to speak to him because I'd been approached by Jez Moxie and Steve Morgan at Wolves to take uh, to, to go for interview uh, to go for interview about uh, replacing Mick McCarthy at Wolves so I wanted to speak to the owner the following that morning to get permission to speak the Wolves, but he beat us to it and uh, got rid of us. It, well, there's another example of the start of the show about um, conspiracy stories. Uh, you know, um, so many rumours and fake news about the reasons why I got they got rid of us, etc., uh, etc. Et None of it the truth. Um, ultimately, uh, the truth, since it's mean that Owen have still good friends, spoke about it. What had happened? Because obviously I was doing well. Be I was getting touted for lots of jobs, Leicester City, uh, and then Leeds United. And, and Leeds was uh, mentioned in the pre-match press conference before the Sheffield United game, which proved to be me last. And Ken Bates was chairman. They were looking for a manager, big the biggest rivals of Huddersfield. And uh, I didn't, I didn't want to talk about it. I wanted to talk about the game, and because I didn't uh, knock it on its head and say I wasn't interested. I think the owner was a little bit peeved by that, which I understand. Whether that was the sole reason why, I don't know, but certainly wasn't for the reasons uh, they then got bandied about on social media. 
Okay, Tom Dixon says, uh, Lee, when you first won the first division in 1993, what were your thoughts on seeing all the crowd on the streets watching the team on the bus in the day you wanted to take the trophy home? I mean, he, Tom was obviously there, and um, that was a, it was a it was a good old a good old day had by all. Uh, but not very often we get a chance to celebrate things as Newcastle fans. But that was amazing. It felt like the birth of something really special, and of course it was with the entertainers. But what was it like for you being on that bus? Can you remember it? <laughs> I was just going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously that crazy interview when I was saying I was going to take it to him I remember Sir John Hall saying to Kevin was there in uh, any fit state to go on the, up the top of the bus he was trying to keep us on the bottom <laughs> on the bottom level because when I got on at the Gosforth Park obviously uh, you know I'd had one one too many and uh, I was bouncing like to be fair so he was panicking that if I got on the top I might have ended up in the crowd over <laughs> the top of the uh, barriers <laughs> And, uh, oh, but when you look back, and I've seen some footage of it uh, over the last six months, lots of people put it out there. It was unbelievable. I mean, the streets were just packed. People climbing up them huge lampposts and hanging on the, you know, as we went down Gosford High Street on the, you know, on the ledges of the pubs. And it took so long to get from the Gosford Park Hotel down to the Civic Centre. Uh, it's just amazing. And um, as you say, Start started something special, a special era, but that just showed you, um, if if you, if you give these fans something to celebrate, wow, what could happen? So if there was something big one in terms of, you know, a big cup competition, a domestic cup competition, or you know, pie in the sky at the moment, or the Premier League or whatever, but what 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 could happen? The the, the turn turnout would be just unbelievable. And, something that you can never forget for the rest of your life. Uh, Jeff Willicks is asking, what was the best goal you've ever scored? I had that sent by Paul uh, Oxley as well on uh, on Twitter. He's saying, 24th of August, 1991 season. Uh, Lee Clark and Andy Hunt scored in a 2-2 home draw. Um, looks like it's against uh, Watford, that, isn't it? I it was think. a header. It was a header past David. My first two, I think, that might have been my second goal. I'm not sure, but two of the early goals from Newcastle and certainly my first ever one was a header. It was away in a two-one defeat, so wasn't renowned for many-headed goals. Um, that first one's is a bit special, but it means nothing because you you don't get anything from the game. Uh, so yeah, goals. Whenever I scored them, I didn't score a lot, but whenever I scored them and we got a positive result, they they always the ones that that stick in the mind. And to do that, it's the best feeling in the world. That's why, you know, the toughest thing for VAR at the moment and no fans is. When you score, you could wait four or five minutes before you celebrate and that moment's gone. Plus, there's no fans to celebrate it with. So, it's tough at the moment, I could imagine, when you're scoring. Yeah, OK. Good stuff. Cheers uh, for that, Jeff. Good question. Dave Cook says, Hi, Lee. You've praised Steve Bruce's management skills in the past. Have you changed your mind yet? P.S. You're still a legend. Um, I've, I've, I've praised Steve before and I've, and I've, and I've knocked him before. And leading up to to uh, the Everton result, and I know the second half against Leeds was better. What were performances and uh, results were horrif- horrendous, and you know we were we were hurtling towards um, getting sucked into a relegation battle. I personally don't think that's the case now because I don't think that the bottom three is going to change. I kind of see them getting enough points uh, to get to get to safety. And I would even say I can't. I would find it difficult to see them getting even to where we are now, 
and that breaks me heart because Fulham's in their club that I've got so much love for. But they've had a good spell, but they still haven't had wins. And they don't seem to be able to get those wins. Sheffield United were the team out the bottom three were showing any kind of form. But obviously, you know, that loss against um, Chelsea at the weekend makes it more and more difficult. Uh, so, listen, I'm Steve Zipal. He, he we got friendly with him. Knew him before I went as Birmingham manager, but got even friendly. Me, me and my wife were him and his wife. Uh, he's from the area. I followed the same path as me, Walls End Boys Club, Bentfield School. He's done good things by me. I signed his son a couple of times. But I'm a Newcastle United fan. And when he's done good things, I've said, and you know, when I've asked for to be given time, and when he's done bad things, I've said that. And and in and, and that run before Everton was one of the worst runs and some of the worst performances I've seen. And, and you know, that's that's me speaking as a fan, like I always do. I'm not yet to, to stick up for people and try and, you know, if I feel it's right to, uh, I will. Uh, but ultimately, the, the biggest thing for me in all this is Newcastle United. I didn't want, they were hurtling towards relegation before that Everton result and, and what's happened in the two wins from the last three games. Uh, you know, so, and, and, and the level of performance wasn't what was required. So, definitely, you know, I, I don't need to change my mind. I just be honest. I'm, I'm not, I'm not BSing anybody. Yeah, no, that's fair enough, mate. Fair enough, and uh, everyone's got their opinions. So you know, you're always a straight talker, and I always appreciate that. You know, you coming on and and saying that, mate. And to be honest, look, you know, if Steve Bruce keeps us up again this season. He's down as the head coach, and no matter who brought Graham Jones in, it'll be uh, mission accomplished in the two seasons he's been here. He but isn't, have, but isn't that that's the saddest thing, Steve? That's mm -hmm. the saddest thing. We're saying mission accomplished because we stayed in the league. Sadly. That's the, big, that's, the, that's the saddest thing about it all. That's yeah. the, the total ambition from the top. And it's and, and that's what cheeses me off because if you keep setting the bar to finish fourth bottom, eventually you'll not finish fourth bottom. You yeah, know, that's you, right. You're right, you'll, Rob. You'll, you know, let's, moon, let's aim for the stars and we might reach for the moon was Kevin's, one of Kevin's famous sayings. Let's see him, let, you know, when he came and we got the Premier League and he said this team's going to challenge to win the Premier League, he got ridiculed, he got laughed. Kevin Keegan, they just said pie in the sky, he's, he's too much of a romantist and all this and, you know, he's, he's, it's, it's, it's not reality where, but it was because he knew if, if, we had, if we had high standards and we had big aims and we aimed for that and we didn't, we failed and we just failed, we'd still be doing well when we finished. You know, that season we finished sixth and we were gutted because we finished sixth in the Premier League. Um, you know, that shoot, that was the example, because we, we aimed to win it in sixth. Setting what, what was gutting, but, you know, it still means that you've done well and you'd, you'd challenge for the trophy. But when you aim for, when, you've, when your ambitions are so low, to finish fourth bottom, in mission accomplished, to, which is, you know, you said it, but it's not your, it's what's been put in my heads and what's been drilled into it during Mike Ashley's era. Twice we've fell through the trap door. It'll happen again when you keep having that type of mentality. No danger. So, you know, if it doesn't happen this year, it could happen next year. Because ultimately, the ambition from the top isn't what it should be. 
Yep, 100% agree, mate, and that's what needs to change. Uh, John Mockler says, uh, how hard was it leaving Sunderland after having played so well for them? I mean, you know, you, you did really well there, Lee, and, you know, I think it's through gritted teeth for a lot of Sunderland fans, but they, they still say you were a great player down there, mate. Exactly what I was saying at the start, Steve, when they asked us about what I felt when I scored the winner for Fulham. This was the same feeling. I knew I couldn't go to either the stadium of Lake versus Newcastle or St James's Park versus Newcastle and give everything. And that's not me. I couldn't I couldn't play in those two games against Newcastle United for Sunderland and look my manager and teammates in the eye in the Sunderland team at the time and say I'm going to run through the proverbial brick wall because I couldn't have done it for Sunderland v Newcastle. I could do it for Fulham v Newcastle. I could have done it for any other club if I had played for them v Newcastle. Yeah, but we're talking about the biggest rivals, and I and I, I couldn't, I, and and that that played in my mind and and played in my thoughts all throughout the summer. But I, you know, once the, the the promotion was secured by by Sunderland, um, I, I knew I asked for a transfer before the season end. We'd already won the league before the season finished. We'd lost to Leicester in the semi final of the cup over two legs. And uh, I went in to see Peter Reid, Andy Gray. It was on Sky. Andy Gray was doing the commentary. And while Andy was there, I, I, I said to Peter, I need to leave. You know, I can't stay next season when you're competing against Newcastle. And Peter laughed it off. And a few expletives later, I kicked us out of his office. <laughs> 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 so, yeah, listen, and that was that was the main reason. Obviously, people then think, oh, well, you, you wore the T-shirt on purpose. I didn't. That got put on his. That helped speed up the process without a shadow of a doubt. Uh, there was no way I could play for them then. Never mind what Peter wanted; it was impossible. Um, so, and, and that just fell into the way it was. Yeah. Okay. Peter Robson says, um, "Were there any players that came through the ranks who didn't make it that you thought should have done, and who were special in your mind?" Yeah, I always say this, and it's a standout one. And that there was a lad called Tommy Heron. Uh, so. Tommy was an unbelievable footballer. He was a left footer. And they always look elegant. They look far more elegant than right footers. And Tommy could make or score a goal. And for whatever reason, it didn't work out for him in Newcastle. But there was loads of options for him to go elsewhere. And he just decided professional football wasn't for him. But he was an outstanding. I remember when we went to the Northern Ireland Mill Cup and would beat Liverpool with Mac Manaman and Fowler. Uh, crew had a famous academy then. We beat them. And we beat Manchester United in the final with gigs in Beckham and schools. Um, I got player of the tournament, player of the final, and Tommy got the top goal scorer. We, we'd done a clean sweep under 15s, and Tommy was exceptional. And yeah, that's that's the player that if you ask any lads from May who, who sticks out as a top player who didn't who didn't make it, and it was probably Tommy's choice. It was probably Tommy's decision. Uh, it wasn't down to his ability. That was for sure. The one that got away. Uh, Martin Scott says, Loved Clarkie as a player, but my question is about his management days. In your time on the touchline, have you ever had an assistant chirp on through the game more than Paul Stevenson? <laughs> Paul, different class, enthusiasm, great coach, uh, you know, terrific mentality. Just gone in with Tommy. Gone in with Tommy Wright as his assistant yesterday to kill Morning. So, uh, yeah, it was would have been on my mind if I had got a job uh, you know coming up Paul would have certainly been there was part of the success I had at Huddersfield 
um, and, and there's a great development of young players. The most happiest guy every single day, happy, positive, and a, and a, and a, and a great coach. So, yeah, he, he's good. He's a good fella. Richard Anderson just says, all right, Lee. Uh, John Justice Allen there from QTech. He says, played in the same school team as Tommy Heron, wand of a left foot and head and shoulders above everybody else. Yeah, can't disagree with that. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Um, Ratted says, just curious to know Lee's thoughts on how FIFA could better regulate the big money clubs buying top talent and not playing them such as Shea at Man City and Bale at Real Madrid. Well, you're never going to be able to stop that as long as the big clubs have the money and the players. It's a player's decision, ultimately, isn't it? That's been the saddest thing for me this season. <clears throat> I was so excited when Gareth Bale came back. I was looking forward to seeing a world-class performer come and light up the Premier League. But it hasn't happened. It's tough. I was listening to Chris Coleman, my pal, last night on Monday Night Football and who managed him brilliantly for the Wales national team. He thinks that there's a chance he could still come back. He needs a run of games. <clears throat> Unfortunately for Jose Mourinho, he doesn't work like that. Jose is at a club where he wants to be. He's used to being a winner. Wherever he goes, he wins trophies. Um, and he needs to do that. And you haven't got time to give someone four or five games to get rhythm. And it's just it just shows you, it doesn't matter how good you are, if you're not playing at a required level on a weekly basis and on a regular basis, it's difficult to get that back and I think Gareth's found that for various different reasons, whether that's fitness issues, uh, whether that's confidence issues. I know Chris mentioned that last night. You know, that's that's a huge part for any player and that's been the toughest thing for me. But you're never going to be able to stop the big clubs uh, taking the best players. It's the players' decision. They know they've got a tough fight on the hand when they go to these clubs because every single player is world-class and... Uh, so that's their that's their decision, and if they get left out, it becomes difficult for them to move on. Okay, Train Son says, if Mike Ashley approached you to manage the club, would you take the job, knowing the constrictions you'd be under, so that you couldn't do the job to the best of your ability? Well, I, on every other occasion, I've had this question. I would, I've, I've said yes, definitely, uh, because you don't know when, it, when, and if, and ever that job's going to be offered to you again, and that would be my dream job in management. That would be the holy grail for me. But when I've had time to think over the last few weeks and months, you know, I've quickly and I've I've, I've moved to a thought process. Well, you've done some crazy jobs in your time, uh, which have backfired and, and probably worked against us where I am at the moment. And this would probably be the same. Uh, so, whereas I was a hundred percent yes at doing it last time, that is change and that's probably six uh, we've lost Lee for that he's probably had a phone call because he tends to do it on his phone so let's just bear with him see if he comes back 8% yes 40% yep yeah, Lee we've lost you there We'll try and get through the rest of these questions. Lee will probably come back. He's he's had this issue before. Using your phone is never the best option for this because uh, obviously if you get a phone call, uh, you start putting the uh, phone call off. Just a little bit about uh, later on. Obviously, um, it's Tuesday, Tuesday night. 
And uh, on Tuesday nights, we always have uh, Liam Kennedy uh, from the Shields Gazette joining us. Um, and, and Liam will obviously be talking through the weekend's game and uh, obviously taking your questions. So any questions you have for Liam tonight, we will be on air at six o'clock. Uh, so give us a shout. And uh, we are on six till seven. Uh, Wednesday night, uh, we will be doing the retro show. Now, the retro show, you can see them in the playlists. We look back at games gone by between Newcastle and whoever the team is that we've decided on the previous week. So last week we did Queen's Park Rangers, which was quite eventful. Uh, but uh, tomorrow night I'll be joined, as usual, by Mitch, by Steve Hasty, by Stu Penman, by George Mitchell, and, of course, by Steve Wilkinson. And we are looking at games against Norwich City tomorrow night. So, uh, yes, plenty to come up on NUFC Matters uh, channel. Lee's back with us. So, uh, we've got, we got, we got your answer, Lee. You said you were 60% now, I think, on taking the job. So, um, that was that right, just before you, you, you went off? Oh, he's, he's gone again. The internet, the internet situation is as bad as Malcolm McDonald's. I've got to say, take Lee off, and um, yeah, I'll just continue to run through what else we've got until we can get Lee back. Um, if you've missed the last couple of players' interviews as well, um, yesterday we did uh, Rob Lee, which was a cracking, a cracking interview with Rob Lee yesterday, and uh, on Sunday, of course, we also had uh, Gavin Peacock on. Gavin Peacock was on the show, and he was promoting his new book, A Greater Glory, from Pitch to Pulpit. Uh, see if you can get a copy of that on uh, Amazon. It's due out on the seventh of May. We've got you back now, Lee. So we've got the answer to your question, which said he was sixty percent. 60% for, um, you know, potentially taking it now, which which is a bit of a change. So, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not surprised. Mike Stewart's got a question. He says, Newcastle seem to really struggle with confidence and fear uh, seems a real issue sometimes. Do you think we would benefit from some professional sports psychologists or do they employ one already? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not under the impression that they employ one. Um, I certainly believe it's massive now in professional sport and elite sport. Uh, that because this is one of the biggest factors. We've just talked about one of the, the best players in world football and, and he could be suffering from a lack of confidence in Gareth Bale. And I think when you have a run that Newcastle were on previous, you're trying to find every little fine margin to get those players. Like I said at the start you know, <clears throat> of the programme, players don't play poorly and make mistakes on purpose. We want good things to be said about. We want to feel great. We want to score goals, make goals as a defender, get clean sheets as a keeper, keep, make good saves, keep clean sheets. We want to do all these things. And sometimes when you're on the opposite side of it and, you're, and it's not going well, you have self-doubt. You look at your teammate who usually can get you out of trouble and he's not getting you out of trouble. And, you know, the, 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 the biggest factor in professional sport for me is, is between the years what's going on in, in the confidence levels and the mindset. So I think it's, it's crucial. It's crucial uh, to have a sports psychologist, you know, giving you positivity, looking at the players who maybe been feeling a bit down. You can tell by the mood that they're in, or they're quiet, or they're, you know, if they're usually bubbly. And it might be something that's affecting them off the pitch as well. So I think it's all these walk of life. It's, it's, and certainly when you're in the Premier League, Steve, and you've got like, you know, unlimited finances to go out and get all these different areas targeted in terms of staffing shouldn't leave, leave no stone unturned. You know, look at what Liverpool and got ridiculed, but they had everything. They had a throw-in coach. 
I mean, we've got that many coaches now. We could probably do that. We'd have a throw-in coach, a, go- a, 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 a goal kick coach, a corner coach. <laughs> so, you know, we've it, it, it could be, and that's the fact. Every little detail. You, you look at the size of the the, the staff and of the clubs now, massive. And 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 I think to be the very best, you you leave no stone unturned for those type of things. Fair enough. Lee, would you or did you ever want to play with Rangers? Says Phil Shuttleworth. He says, Gaz, I loved it there. No doubt you would have done well there too. Did you ever have an opportunity to go to Rangers? Twice to Rangers. Um, Dick Advocat and uh, and um, with uh, Alex McLeish and the late great Tommy Burns at Celtic. Got a sign for two, both both the Giants. Didn't real. I knew they were big. Had the chance to play in friendlies against them both for Newcastle and Fulham, Celtic and Rangers, and they were full out for friendlies. And the atmosphere was brilliant. <clears throat> Didn't realise how big they were until I went up to Scotland and managed, and and, and how they are. They're an organisation, not just football clubs. And then obviously, when me mate was playing up there, Tom Allen Thompson as a player and as an assistant manager, uh, went up there and um, you know just. Phenomenal games, them old firm derby matches or just something else. And uh, so, yeah, looking back, probably missed out on playing at unbelievable clubs. And I probably wish I, I had took up the opportunity when it came. Um, just felt that I had better opportunities down here in England. Uh, Ewan says, what was your relationship uh, relationship like with Peter Lovenkranz at Birmingham? Fine. Had more ups and downs. Um, you know, I at times thought he wasn't, doing well he thought he was doing better where we had manager player relationship and uh, so yeah it, it was tough because Peter was a blue chip player that I brought in on the you know my first couple of weeks and someone I tried a lot for and I pulled a lot of strings and I thought he would be a, a real good character for us in terms of winning uh, getting and getting better and, and getting in the playoffs but obviously the financial situation then took hold and the players that had thought I could bring bring in alongside Peter Lowe and Kranz and what I'd said to Peter in enticing him to the club didn't materialise so it became difficult for us all because we are we at the end of the table where we didn't want to be and uh, we didn't we didn't think we would be uh, because of the, 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 the financial landscape that changed so much. Yeah uh, Tim C yeah he says uh, Shelby definitely needs coaching on corners for sure um, Ewan also asked another good question actually he says do you feel like the sport is diluted now and are you happy that you played in the era that you did good question Ewan I'm certainly happy that I, I, I'm that the era I played in yeah I'm, I'm, I've got no um, issues with that I had a great time I had fantastic teammates fantastic managers and coaches great rapport with the support as I played for um, the game has changed massively um, I get to know a lot. Obviously, me, me, me son's in academy football now, so in, in represents England. So I'm, I'm 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 going around seeing things with him. Uh, that at times it's it's difficult for me to to get my head round. Obviously, from the I've been a manager, I've been a coach. So I see it from all aspects. It, it it is changing, and it is there's there's lots of it changing for the good of the game. Don't get me wrong. But there's some of it changing to the detriment of the game, and uh, there's got to be a balance between the book, the two of them. How's Bobby doing? Just out of interest. Yeah, it's been tough over the pandemic. Uh, you know, academy football shut down, and uh, 
when he did get back into it, he had an emergency appendix operation, which sidelined him for six weeks. Then, uh, you know, it, um, it, it's been, he's back in training, but not a lot of games. Then, obviously, we've got the weather to contend with. Like, we've got, yeah, two foot of snow. So, that's reduced the playing time. So, probably over the course of the year, when you're seeing this is why one year anniversary, he's probably played a handful of games, which has been tough for him, especially when he's, uh, you know, September going, going in, in full time and in full time football and uh, he's found it difficult you know he, he loves his football the international setup shut down as well there's been no international fixtures he had some terrific opportunities there was a tournament over in Argentina that got knocked on its head playing some Argentina Brazil Japan some fantastic nations that you would love to come up against and uh, so hopefully this can we can come out of this one lockdown uh, as quickly as possible and he can get back into preparing himself for full-time football. Last question to Tom. He says, do you think your uh, former club Fulham will stay up? Unfortunately, I don't. It breaks me heart to see it. And Scotty, you know, turned things around really well. Great lad. Obviously played alongside him and I've been down to see him and popped to see him when I've been to watch them play. And he's done a terrific job getting them up and they had a tough start and he, he turned things around. And they were getting good performances, but they still weren't winning, Steve. And that's that's why I worry for them. Even when they were playing well, I think they're into double figures in terms of games now without a win. And that's what worries us now. The gap that they've got to make up, I cannot see them doing it. I just think the bottom three who are there now um, will, will be the bottom three that ultimately finishes the end of the season. Because... You always think Burnley will get a couple of results because Sean, with his experience and the way how difficult his team make things for Brighton, have had some terrific results. And, and like us in the last couple of games, won games that we probably weren't expected to, to win with the form that we were in. So that's turned it round. And uh, I wish it would be someone else and take Fulham's place, but unfortunately, I think that uh, they've gone. Yep. Yeah, uh, good luck to uh, good luck to them. Anyway, Scott says he's here doing really well there. Like so, um, you know, as long as Newcastle don't get dragged into it, though, uh, that's all I, I care about. Newcastle Legends logo in the bottom right hand corner. Um, click on that. You can subscribe to the channel if you're a first time viewer. Click like on the video as well and share. It does help us. Share that on your social media. Um, I will of course be back tonight at six o'clock with uh, Liam Kennedy. Uh, he'll be taking your questions and looking back at the last seven days at Newcastle United. Lee Clark, great to have you on, mate. As always, thanks for taking the time. Stay safe, mate, and I'm sure we'll get you on again before the end of the season. Take care, pal. Thanks, Steve. All the best, everyone. Talking to myself again